Welcome back to Mouthpiece. I am Savage Dan. And I'm the magic man, Paulie Malanaji. As always, remember to like, comment, subscribe, ask questions. And the best one from last week was, who is the biggest success story as an amateur, an Olympian, and a pro? Woo. It's a big Woo. one. There's a few names, you know. When, when you're looking at amateur legends, you know, Lomachenko's an amateur legend. Uh, legend. Uh, Rigondeau. Yes, but here's the thing then. Was, was, it, was that a combination of all three or is it, is it three different answers? I think it, I, what I get from the question is that's a combination. Somebody who has completed all three. Okay. So essentially, I'm, I'm guessing we want a top amateur, whether it's a world or Olympian champ, well, you know um, that became a world champ. For me, then, it's the greatest, Muhammad Ali. You know, uh, uh, greatest boxing career of all time, and uh, obviously tops at the at the uh, as an amateur winning the Olympic gold medal, and he won it in Rome. So he gets an, a yeah. couple extra. For me, he gets a couple extra points for winning <laughs> it in Italy. You know, so <laughs> for me, I, that's, um, I have to. Do say you know Ali. what? I, I'm. I look at obviously Lomachenko was an amateur for a long time, mm-hmm. fought for a world title, and lost originally. Was, was that his first fight when he lost? No, second was that pro, a world championship? Sec, second pro fight for the world championship against a guy who didn't make weight, though. But, but gonna, that's, that's how you got to beat Loma, isn't it? You just can't be the same weight as him when you beat him, yeah. pretty much. Um, Lomachenko's obviously, he's had, you know, a ridiculous amount of amateur fights. Won pretty much all of them. Um, and his rise through the ranks was was pretty ridiculous. Uh, one of my favorites, I won't say he's the best, but one of my favorites, I don't know why I warmed to him so much, was Guillermo Rigondeau. Like an amateur legend, you know, like Cubans were renowned and have always been renowned for being top, top, top amateurs. Yeah. Um, and not very good pros for some reason, you know. They, they make it to America or wherever it is that they're training, take their foot off the gas and they... Uh, it's It's... It's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy that they never really fulfilled their potential as a pro. I'm going to give it to, to, to Rigondeau just because I'm sure he won two Olympics. He's got almost a mythical um, amateur record. And then what he did against Nonito Denaire. Yeah. I feel like was, People, was a yeah, crazy, you know that, crazy that, that kind of gets forgotten in all the mix. You know, they, that was dominant against a very and against a very guy, a dominant guy who at the time Nonito was a very yeah. dominant guy. You know, yeah. And uh, Guillermo dominated that fight. Um, yeah, I mean, he always stuck out to me I, I, when I was watching him in the amateurs. He always stuck out to me, and I, I remember thinking, this guy has, has just got to defect. He has to defect. I mean, it would be a shame if this guy wouldn't defect because there are there have been some Cuban champions that you know kind of let themselves get older in cuba and never defected you know and you always think mm-hmm. like what if and you start to wonder but uh i was glad to and i remember actually rigondo actually got caught the first time they, they caught him in, i remember him defecting and they caught yeah. him in brazil i don't know if it was him and lara he was with uh, somebody else and they caught them they caught them in brazil and brazil has extradition laws that take you back to cuba so i remember thinking like oh man this guy's never gonna get out now that's it Somehow, though, he got out, and he managed to get, have a successful pro career. Uh, I think uh, pretty unappreciated when, you, when, you, when it's uh, all talked about, but uh, yeah. incredibly talented, uh, a real, real cerebral fighter. I mean, a real, like, he's, yeah. he's playing chess uh, at the level of Bobby Fischer, and, and everybody yeah. else is playing checkers, you know, and that's why he's so hard to understand, and people actually complain about him because they just don't get – the the levels that he's fighting on, you know, and mm-hmm. um, and he's gonna that he's gonna take you on, you know, you you can't teach trigonometry to a kindergartner, you know, it, it's it's just this is not gonna get it. So I really feel like Rigondo is always gonna be a, a bit unappreciated, and he definitely deserves to be in the conversation. Actually, as does Lara. I don't know if Lara won a gold medal. It's not. I'm not yeah. recalling now. But Lara has had Lara. You know, the the like you mentioned before, the, a lot of the Cubans kind of fall off when they get here. Um, they end up having a lot of discipline problems, you know, uh, many of them. I remember uh, when I was young, Ramon Garbet. Ramon Garbet was a, a, a yeah. top cruiserweight Cuban amateur yeah. and came here and did nothing. Jorge, Jorge Luis Gonzalez in the same the same uh, amateur generation. Big Cuban heavyweight. Didn't really pan out in the pros here. So so a lot of them do come here and wind up getting too much of a taste of freedom, you know, and then they kind of go, go crazy and go haywire. But Lara has been a guy who 
was super, super disciplined when he got here. He actually lived a very conservative-minded lifestyle as far as going to get married. He left Miami. Well, I think the risk is when these Cubans stay in Miami. The Miami it's is Miami. the risk. It's Miami. Yeah, because you it's go from Miami. Ha- you come from Havana to Miami, and it's a big, big difference in freedom, and, and, and you've got a, a, a lot to do. Um, Regondo's kind of a quiet guy, so I don't think he ever would be tempted, but I think Lara did the right thing in, in just getting out of there. He went to Houston, Texas, and just has mm-hmm. just had – you know, a phenomenal career. Also, a guy who probably doesn't get the credit he deserves. I mean, I thought he could have got the decision against Canelo Alvarez when they fought. You know, like, he's so just, and he got robbed blind against Paul Williams as well. Um, really, really good fighter and and really, really disciplined uh, human being, not just uh, a fighter. Uh, I, I I've I've run into Rislandi several different times, and he's just a mature, mature person, individual, uh, as, as a man and as a boxer. And um, I, I think uh, when you c- combine those two attributes together with the talent, uh, it, it, you, you get, you're going to get the most out of what you got. And if you can get the most out of a Cuban fighter, you're going to get a lot because Cuban fighters tend to be yeah. really, really well-schooled. Anyway, Rigondal, Arasandi Lara, you may be underappreciated in, in the boxing world. You are not underappreciated here. We love you. Fact. Um, all right, let's review... The weekend's results, Felix Cash beat Denzel Bentley in the third round with a, with a, a very, very solid TKO. Now, I can't remember what my prediction was. I'm I think you had sure. Cash. I might have gone with Bentley. Did I have Cash? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I can't remember. But all I know is I've seen a lot of Cash. I like Cash. I like... Everyone loves Cash. But I like Cash because yeah. he's Who a doesn't very like Cash? Who doesn't like Cash? Who doesn't? <laughs> Who doesn't like Cash? Who doesn't like Cash? He's, 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 he, but he's a quality fighter, you know? He's... He's he quite is. patient. He throws shots was, very, very that, well. He's very relaxed. He was in control was, the whole night. That was a dominant performance, really. I, yeah. I never felt he let Bentley into the fight because Bentley has sort of an awkward style and he kind of relies on throwing you off a little bit, trying to time him. Mm-hmm. But I felt like Cash took the approach, forget trying to time you. Let me just bulldoze you, you know? And, mm-hmm. and if I just bulldoze you, you're going to have to make a decision as to will all this awkward movement work for you or not, you know? And, and, um, I felt like Bentley never got settled into the fight. He 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 had a decent second round, but he was moving too much for my liking. If you're gonna, yeah. if whenever in boxing, if you're gonna move a lot, you need to make sure you're punching off that movement and you're punching sometimes in combination or, or using your using a solid jab so that your mm-hmm. movement can be effective and it can also slow down the pressure you are taking. Otherwise, you're going to go on what I used to call going to flight. You know, you're, the pressure is going to send you into flight. So I thought I never felt Bentley got comfortable with his movement because Cash was always in his face and I've never felt like he was able to gain control of Cash's pressure enough to kind of diminish it and, and be comfortable in the fight. And uh, obviously... The fight ended rather quick after that. I mean, it was the third round, third round TKO, I believe. Yeah, it it, it had a little uh, a little bit of a similarity to me with the the second Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder fight, mm-hmm. purely because maybe it's the fact he was wearing Everlast boots as well. But it was it was purely because he's got an awkward style and he's used to coming forward and being the bully himself. But he was forced onto the back foot and he didn't quite have what it what he needed to to be able to deal with the pressure and, and because of it he started pushing his shots rather than punching sharp with any snap yeah and then felix started and, just teeing and, off and, on him and when you're not used to being backed up like that you also there's a sort of a hesitation in your offense and also there's just not as much of a confidence in your punches you know um i you mentioned the deontay wilder and fury fight there's certain fighters that very good fighters. But once you start pushing them back, they can't fight. Typically, it stands out most obviously in pressure fighters. Like a lot of fighters from Mexico who are typically pre- fighting that pressure style. As soon as you start backing them up, they don't fight as as, as effectively anymore. Yeah. But then there are also certain fighters who are not so much pressure fighters, but they're sort of sort of hold their ground kind of fighters. You know, like technical fighters hold your ground kind of fighters. And guys who stand out to me like that are Deontay Wilder, even Zab Judah was like that. Where if you're just backing them up, they have the appearance of an athlete who can fight backing up. But in reality, they they can't at all. Amir Khan was like this too. Amir Khan would yeah. could fight you from where from where he is, where he's at, where he's in place. Or he could come forward, but he could also t- pick you off right from where he was at. But if you start backing him up, all he wanted to do was hold and just tr- uh, uh, try to find his comfort zone. So there is a... Uh, 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 certain kind of fighters that have this this thing about them. 
And um, when you back them up, they, they sort of, the, the wheels start falling off the wagon, so to speak. And, I, and that's what I, I, I noticed in, in this fight with Cash and Bentley. Cash was very comfortable putting the pressure on. He was technically more sound, fundamentally more sound, so that the pressure wouldn't walk him into anything stupid. You know, nice hand positioning, which set up not just uh, a good defense, but also set up nice his ability to throw nice punches and nice combinations as well. And, I don't, and Bentley, when he was throwing his hands were all on his sides, he was kind of all over the place. He just didn't have an answer. It seems like he was looking for one. And even when he was throwing, yes, he was throwing hard at times, and his movement could be awkward at times, but he wasn't able to put together anything sustained because his positioning was all over the place. Having said that, I think we should give a notable mention to uh, Camille Sokolowski. I hope I haven't butchered your name, mate. Um, who, who had a, a very good performance against another, you know, a pressure fighter, somebody who is expected to do big things in the sport, David Adelaide. And, um, you know, and it's a six-rounder, but he decided, you know, I'm not going to be the one that's, that's going to be bullied. I'm going to put it on, you know, the, the, the fighter that is supposed to win this. Um, and there was a lot of people that, that pulled out of that fight beforehand. It was a, it was a late replacement. Um, he came in and, and he, um, look, he, he did himself no harm, you know. A lot of people will say that, that, that he deserved to win that fight. Wow, wow. And I remember Camille, if I remember correctly, he was in one of our boxer tournaments, correct? Yes. So, you know, yeah. he's a he's a guy who's who kind of he's he's an opponent kind of journeyman type, so he'll come in and save save the card many times uh when when opponents pull out. So, it's not easy to put yourself in that situation in, to win fights, let alone look good in fights. So, uh uh definitely guys like that are not only needed in boxing, but also are, are a credit uh, in their own little niche window, you know, people don't tend don't tend to uh, understand just how much you need to appreciate guys like that because they'll, you know, with, without them, you're not going to have guys where who your fighter can mature against and 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 get better. But also, they'll kind of clear out clear clear the waste out of the way. If you're a fake prospect, they'll beat you, you know, or they'll give you yeah. more problems, you know, or, or they'll expose certain errors that you, maybe you have to go back to the gym and and uh, uh, bundle up, button up a bit and and fix. And of course. You know, they'll, they'll save the show when you need them as a last-minute replacement. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh, and uh, the thing is, we, a lot of, you know, fighters go underappreciated in a the sport. They are very, very necessary. They they show chinks in fighters' yeah. armors if there are any. And they, they're, they're almost the gatekeepers of the sport, you know. If you can beat me, then you're, you're decent. And if you can't, yeah, you, you go, need to be where I am. You, you, go, you go through kind of the different levels. You know, it's funny. We're talking about this last-minute replacements. It, it reminds me of a story. Um, when I was a kid, Tommy Morrison had won the, the newly formed WBO title. Now, the WBO didn't have as big of a reputation as it does now. So I don't think this would ever be sanctioned today. But Tommy Morrison's opponent failed the medical. I guess it was – and the, the result came in after the weigh-in. So they, they, they had to get him out. Now you've got a main event for a WBO heavyweight championship title fight. Uh, going on, and you've got a, an arena waiting for Tommy Morrison, and they don't have anybody. They found the guy in the crowd. He was like a journeyman guy. <laughs> they found the guy in the crowd. I forget his name. you got to look this up, man. i I got to get it to you. Um, and uh, he, 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 I mean, he had a decent record, actually. He was a journeyman. I assume all his medicals were caught up to date and uh, was was hanging out at the fight, and they were like, hey, you know, we, we need a replacement. You want the fight? <laughs> and he and he was like, "All right." They, got, they, stra they strapped on boots on him and shorts, and 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 the way they sent him, and he put up like four or five decent rounds. You know, of I mean, course he, he did for him. It, for him, it was like he luckily. I mean, I would say he was probably already training for probably maybe yeah. something else. Who knows? Because and he was at the fight. Um, Blew it soft around the waist, you know, like heavyweights tend to. A lot of heavyweights tend to be, but still, he he, he went like four or five rounds, and he gave it a good effort. <laughs> That's so, outrageous. So he, he he went to the fight and wound up with a check. <laughs> <laughs> That's, it's, it's, it's outrageous you, one that you could you fail a medical that close to a fight it's, it's, yeah. it's quite rare nowadays in the sport um, yeah, because, and well, also the fact the, that you got you, you, you got the lucky results. you had a fighter in the crowd who said <laughs> yeah why not yeah, but you know what? The WBO today, I don't think you know. I think now the WBO probably has more more strict rules because they're one of the major sanctioning bodies. At that time, yeah. they were still new, so they were just trying to get all the fights they could with WBO titles in in the mix. You know, so they could not afford uh. to lose out a chance to be on national TV in the United States. Morrison stopped them, but um, you know what? 
the guy uh the, the guy put up a decent effort i remember the guy put up a decent effort i remember al bernstein was doing the post-fight interview with him afterwards and he was he was actually in a really good mood <laughs> he was like yeah tommy hits hard i know i was here and he was saying hi to everybody what's up ma and he's like i don't think my mother knows my mother knows i didn't come here to fight but if she turns on the tv she's gonna have a heart attack or something you, know? you make your own luck you make yeah. your own luck um also this weekend navarette beat diaz and he waited till the 11th hour to do it, basically. It was a, it was a, a good stoppage in the end. Um, that is a, that is a, that is a difficult late. guy to deal with. I tell you, Navarrete is one of these Mexican guys who kind of punches from all angles, throws a lot of punches, brings pressure, but brings a nice technical pressure. You know, like yeah. he's, a lot of some of these Mexican fighters, they have this style where they look like they're punching wide, but their punching is, punch selection is so creative that the punching wide actually helps them. You know, it's like Navarrete, it's, he's throwing these combinations, and they, sometimes they look like, you know, they're not as short as they could be, but they're getting around the elbows, they're getting up the gut into your solar plexus, they're, coming, they're hitting you with uppercuts. He hit, he hit knocked down Patufo with a lead uppercut that was like from three feet away. He just kind of lunged in with it and caught him with a, a lead left uppercut and, and, and dropped him. Um, really... Really good fighter, solid fighter, Navarrete. Uh, good effort by D- by Diaz. He's always uh, and, and, you know, he's always put up a good effort of coming up just short in the title fight. But nonetheless, I think Navarrete is a is a guy who can be in some fun fights uh, if if they give him a chance to get some name opponents. I, I think he's he's uh, he's entertaining TV. I agree. I agree. Um, also, Edgar Belenga finally goes the distance. It's been yeah. a while. Yeah, and he looked good. I, I thought he looked good doing it. Um, you you kind of needed to see. Um, the, him going some rounds and see how comfortable he could be in there. Yeah. I think this proved even more than the other fights that he's got power because Desmond Nicholson came to win. He was in there trying his hardest and he just kept going down and he kept getting up and he was just mad. He was just he's a competitor through and through. You yeah. get a guy like this, I think it brings out it brings more out of you. It really proves if you're really a puncher because you got guys who who kind of pad up their records and then they, they step up and all of a sudden guys aren't feeling their shots. They're not able to get they're not able to stop guys the pressure guys bring upon them and whatnot. But I mean Belanga was landing and Nicholson was going down. Belanga was landing and Nicholson was going down. It was a, a testament to Nicholson's uh, chin, durability, and heart. But it forced Berlanga to have to reassess everything constantly and, and keep fighting. And he fought a great fight, I thought. Uh, fought a good fight. Yeah, he took a couple of shots. But, you know, we saw he could take a couple of good shots. Uh, good resistance. You, you, needed this kind of, you needed this kind of opponent for Berlanga. Uh, that he not only would he, would he last, but he would last and not try to survive. Also keep trying to yeah. bring it to him. And um, solid win by Berlanga. Uh, some things he can work on, sure. Um, I, I think you know he's still kind of a, a little bit more too, more crazy with his power in that he's thrown everything everything hard. Uh, he probably could mix in some setup shots, but nonetheless, I think he's going to be uh, something to deal with in that in that weight class for uh, for a while. Well, up to that point, it was sixteen fights and sixteen first round knockouts. Round knockouts. Yeah, it's so a ridiculous in, record. He's obviously just, uh, talking about fighting Canelo. Yeah, and, and people, can they time that right? Does that fight happen? Does he have the power to do Canelo? We've barely seen him hurt. We've only ever seen him hurt once. Yeah. Um. By by uh, uh, not Miguel Cotto. One Miguel Cotto. Mm-hmm. Um. I, other than that, I haven't really seen him. No, look I, I've seen I've seen Canelo hurt in, in the second Golovkin fight. Canelo took a good shot. I think I remember round yes. eleven. Um. But I I do think you can if you if you time this right. I don't know if Belanga's ready for Canelo just yet, but I'd like to see that fight because Belanga has a nice following. He's got a nice following, mm-hmm. Puerto Rican. Canelo has a great following, Mexican. I, mm-hmm. You know, every time a Mexican and a Puerto Rican fight, they they give the they, they there's always talk of that Puerto Rico Mexico rivalry. But sometimes it's just not as there's just not as big of a following between those two fighters that are fighting, even if they happen to be Mexican and Puerto Rican. It's nice. It always makes for good fights, but it's it's not. It doesn't always get as as big as it could uh, when. Uh, like when people talk about the rivalry, but yeah. Canelo and Berlanga, I think Berlanga is rising in popularity, has a big following. Uh, the Puerto Rican community love him. Obviously, we know the Mexican community love Canelo. I think if you if if you time this right, you can really have a nice blockbuster. And stylistically, yeah. I think they gel well right? because they're both looking to take each other's heads off. You know, um, but I, I wouldn't do it just yet. Um, Canelo's still young. I mean, he's gonna be thirty-one this summer, so he's still. He's still uh, in a, in a good place, I think, for at least a couple of years. Um, who knows? Maybe a year a year from now, we may see Canelo and Belanga. I, I I think it would be a super super fight uh, if Belanga keeps yeah. maturing and, and going in the direction he's going. I really really would like to see that fight come down to eventually. 
I, I think the longer you let that marinate, the better that fight potentially becomes. It does, um, but, but you don't want Canelo to get too you old. You don't want to leave it until Canelo's on the yeah. slide, obviously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just a quick test for you, actually, a quick quiz. Do you know who has the longest knockout streak in history? Long and long in what to start your career? To to start the career? Who, or, who or just... has who's had the longest streak? The oh. most knockouts in a row. Archie Moore? Nope. I'll give I'll give you a clue though. He um you're gonna have to go way back. We're talking to the late seventies. Uh it is a fighter. I'll I'll tell you who he lost his streak to. He lost it to Salvador Sanchez. Oh, Wilfredo Gomez. There you go. Is it Rivera Gomez? There you go. Yeah, he was a great yeah, fighter. That's the one. That's the one. Yeah, he was a great fighter. Thirty-two knockouts in a row. Yeah. It's outrageous. And he, and not just to be fair, pa- I wonder. I, I think Deontay Wilder might not even be too far behind him when I look at all the not not tomato cans, but all the all, he had a, a long list of people. Yeah, he was knocking yeah. Out I mean, Deontay's power is legit. If he hits you on the chin, doesn't matter yeah. who you are. If he hits you right, I mean, I think yeah. you're going. Well, Fredo though was a beautiful fighter to watch. A beautiful technical fighter. And uh, um, uh, explosive, explosive power. I like the Puerto Ricans of that generation a lot. Those are those are mm-hmm. some of my favorite fighters in boxing history. Uh, you know, Wilfred Benitez, Wilfredo Gomez, uh, Hector Camacho. Uh, I, that there was a, a a generation of Puerto Rican fighters in that right right at that time that are that are not just my favorite Puerto Rican fighters of, of all time, but among my favorite fighters of, of, of any uh, of any ethnicity of all time. I mean, they were mm-hmm. just really really fun to watch. And really, really talented, skilled guys, and including Gomez with all that power. People tend to talk about his power. Yeah. They call him the bazooka, but a really fine technical fighter. Right in the news this week, Ryan Garcia has announced on his Instagram that he'll be pulling out of his July 9th bout. Is it July 9th? I'm sure it's July 9th. It is July 9th. His July 9th bout with Javier Fortuna. Um, he says for for health reason. Now we we can only assume that that is mental health he hasn't he hasn't uh highlighted any injuries uh and it's you know what it's i think it's a brave thing to do and a necessary thing to do sometimes because i honestly believe this is the most taxing sport in the world paulie it it, it takes a lot from you 99% won't do it is it is it requires a lot of you and, and when you're in the limelight as much as as fighters nowadays are it can obviously have some effects on your on your mental health yeah, I mean, we don't know for sure if it's mental health. We can only speculate, and I, I don't like to speculate on, on serious matters like that. Um, but if it is, obviously, you, you, you hope the best for Garcia. I, I just prefer not to see young fighters take a stall in their careers, uh, early in their careers when they're maturing, still improving, still can be in the gym and doing that. Mm-hmm. I remember it was really hard on me to have all those hand injuries at that, that, that probably around the same point in my career as, as Ryan is in his career, but he's about what 22 years old, you know? And it was really really frustrating uh, to not be able to apply my craft and continue to get better and better because of the injuries. Yeah. So I, I personally from a from a, a personal opinion perspective, I don't like him staying away too much at this age because I think you're in your physical prime. You you're coming into your physical prime. You you still have that youth explosiveness to you. And you're really, really improving a lot if you have the passion for what you're doing. So hopefully um, it, it's, it's nothing too serious. Uh, um, like I said, we can only speculate. If it is, you hope that he gets better. But, um, you know, <laughs> if you can speculate on that, I guess you can speculate on a lot of things. Maybe he's working on a, never, maybe he's working on a top secret movie and he's got a part in a big movie and no, he's not allowed to say <laughs> and he can't we're train. Forgetting, you know? this, this, is, this is Ryan Garcia. I'm, I'm guessing... He's maybe one of the, is or or is thereabouts uh, to, of being the one of the highest followed boxers yeah. there yeah. is. You know, yeah. he's it, for years people were calling him an Instagram fighter. He, that's how many followers he has. He's used to being mm-hmm. in the limelight, but you know, when social media is as big as it is nowadays, I'm guessing sometimes. You need to take a. Even I need to take a break sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I I get it. But uh, like I said, I, I at that at that point in your career, I'm not. Uh, I, I have to assume it's something serious mm-hmm. or something business oriented, whatever it is. I, I can't. I, I mean, he, it must be something he needs to do personally, or or maybe like I said, maybe it's something outside of boxing that he's working on, or 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 it's just rehabilitation, like we're talking about. You know, like I said, we can only speculate, but also. You know, Javier Fortuna loses a big payday. You know, I feel bad for this guy. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's, he's yeah. had a hard a lot of hard luck himself. You know, so so um, you know, Fortuna is a a solid good fighter, 
and it's a shame that uh, that you know you know this all this is also a shame for him that uh, uh, that he loses out on the opportunity because your boxing window is small and getting paydays like this is not doesn't they don't come around all the time so you know uh, hopefully Fortuna can also you know come back in and and and, and get a big paying fight. Um, and replace this opportunity with some or this lost opportunity with something else. Because although you know the the subject matter is about Garcia, you know Fortuna is also is also victimized in his own way by losing yep. out on this fight. Also this week, Mauricio Lara and Josh Warrington talks have begun for the rematch. Although Lee City Council are refusing to have it at Headley Stadium, Headley Stadium, I have no idea why. I'm guessing it's something to do with COVID. It's really? a it's a quality fight, you know. I'm not sure if if um if if everyone has seen the the first, the first fight, fight, but it was fascinating to watch. Uh, Josh Warrington didn't really look himself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I felt that. He looked too. like he was getting overpowered, and, and when he got hurt, he, it was and basically very he looked like he was. A, he looked like you know usually it's Warrington who's uh, uh, all over you and, and and really making you uncomfortable, and it was like it was like he left that guy at home that day. <laughs> Lara became that guy, yeah. you know. So if they could both bring that kind of intensity to a, to the rematch, it would I think it would make a, a a tremendous fight. Is is that the does that happen though? So for example, if you're if one of your core elements to your fight game is energy and output when you start to to slip do you start to slip a little bit faster than somebody who 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 doesn't rely so heavily on on how much work they're putting in yeah i i think so you know um but it, you know it depends you know um i i think when you're an energy fighter you need to go into the fights all your fights extra beat mentally on an extra positivity mind mentally you always have to be positive mind to come into a fight confident wise but mm-hmm. i think when you're an energy fighter you have to have that that energy up to a, the level of positivity that it's just making you want to jump out of the out of the corner so if you don't have if you're not mentally in into the fight you're not going to have that same kind of energy and, and your 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 performance will you know show those results if, if if your whole style is based on that energy and also when you get older you tend not to uh tend not to uh be able to take your body to those levels of energy, uh, those levels of uh, intensity that you that you could when you were younger. Of course, now we do see guys lasting a little longer and high intensity, but we won't go into why that happens. <laughs> right. Well, we, only we, some we of both sort of fight. <laughs> we both sort of fight. Um, and and if you're Josh Warrington, you took a lot a lot of damage. Is it right to take the the rematch immediately? Do you want to? It's always the age old question, right? It's crazy. It's just the age old question. Is it too soon? You know, it's like mm-hmm. you either look like a genius or you look like a fool, depending on the result of the yeah. rematch, right? If you if you get clobbered in the rematch, oh, I was too soon. If you if you come back and then stop him in the rematch, oh look at that, he just wasn't himself the first fight. He knew he could beat him. I mean, we're we're just, at this point that just makes us just like anybody else armchair pundits here, where we're just you know we don't really know we don't know what, what was inside well, Warrington's let, mind. Let's talk about your experiences then. You you had a rematch against Juan Diaz. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you won it. Yeah, um, I, well, what I had kind two, of what, what what kind of mindset? Well, I had I had a handful of rematches, right? I had uh, uh, the rematch. The most famous one is the Juan Diaz rematch, but I also rematched a guy named Paul Delgado early in my career. Yeah, and then I had to rematch Lovemore and Do after I beat him for the world championship. So I'll take you through the through the three steps. The Delgado fight was my first very bad hand injury, and and I mm-hmm. I suffered a very bad hand injury in, in the in the first Delgado fight to the point where it debilitated my performance, and I barely got out of the fight. I won a split decision. My first time experiencing a bad hand injury. It was the fir- It would be the first of many. Little did I know, but. It was the first time experiencing a bad hand injury in the fight. And um, this guy was, you know, giving me a lot of problems. And I, I escaped by the skin of my teeth with a split decision. I was obsessed with having that rematch. I just, my team was like, oh, you beat him. You don't need to see him again. I just didn't like the fact that he could go about and saying, oh, he got robbed. Or, or he or, or, or Paulie knows who really won. To make matters worse, after I come back from surgery and I have my first fight like six, seven, no, seven months later, Delgado actually upsets an, un- an undefeated prospect on the same card. So now the buildup is he talking even more. So yeah, I knock off yeah. prospects, and uh, I got robbed with Malinaji. So I was just like, guys, you got to get me this guy. I can't, I can't take this guy anymore. You know. Eventually they got him for me a few, uh, a couple of fights later, and I won almost every second of every round. You know, and I just, you know, I basically wanted to 
make my point, you know, that it was it was this, this, or this. It, 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 there had mm-hmm. been some issues. He was a solid guy. As a matter of fact, Delgado was, was the kind of guy who came up the hard way. He actually wound up getting a, a shot at a world championship. He, he he built himself up enough to get a shot at a world championship against Dejan Zavik for the IBF welterweight title and lost years later. But, you know, this is a guy who was busting on prospects a lot. So I was obsessed with just make sure making sure he went home and he couldn't and he knew he couldn't beat me you know <laughs> and so with Diaz it was the same thing um I I wanted it right away and, and and Diaz fight I got the rematch right away um I think um with the Diaz fight um I just felt like I didn't need to change anything I don't really think I need I changed much in the Diaz fight because I felt like I got robbed so I, I it was it, yeah. I think it's different with with Warrington because Warrington has you know one thing went and got himself stopped so he's he needs to kind of uh, readjust mentally and maybe uh, assess the, uh, his approach to the fight, or maybe bring back the old approach that maybe we was probably lacking in this fight. You know, he has to figure that out on his own. The Love Morendo rematch was a totally different mindset because I dominated Love more the first fight, and now I had to kind of get, try to get myself up for a second fight, and I was more concentrating on my hair than I was on Love more in the rematch because I'm thinking um, I'm underestimating him so much, and uh, it, it almost cost me there too. On top of that, my hand broke in that fight as well. You know, so so I, I finished that fight halfway halfway through that fight. I had a, I wound up with a broken hand, and um, you know, again the the mind it, it proves that the, your mindset is very important uh, going into a rematch. It's all inside you as far as what you really feel the the core issues were in the first fight. Were yeah. you what, if you're robbed? I think you have a and you have an excellent confidence going into a rematch, you know. Um, but if you get beat the way Warrington got beat, uh, you know, I don't know, you know, it's like to have that rematch now, you, you, it's, uh, it's on you. You have to really do some soul searching yourself and understand, really be honest with yourself about why it happened that way the first time around, you know, because Warrington yeah. is a high intensity guy. He needs to be confident, yeah. he, or he's not going to have that kind of intensity going into a fight if he's not confident. Good advice. Good advice. Listen, Josh Warrington, just be the OG, throw 500 shots around, and you should be all right. Although, and, and, and it'll make a great Lara, fight because Lara loves that kind of uh, yeah. That kind of, that's, dance, that's the, the thing. Dance, you know, in a way, you're you're kind of playing into Lara's hands in a way because he expects that and probably wants that as well. He yeah. just wants to stick around. As a matter of fact, Lara was probably surprised at the way the first fight went because he probably was expecting this guy who was all over him and he was gonna try to be all over him instead, and, and he didn't get the same response. It's why we love this sport. We gotta also. We have to also go into Dana White talking about Jake Paul. I don't know why Dana White is complaining about Jake Paul. Uh, I know there's a lot of opinions on Jake Paul. I don't have a problem. I've said it in the past. I don't have a problem with him making all this money. He's the guy that sells you this, your show. He's the one that that uh, that uh, he's the one that actually deserves to make the money. It's funny because I hear a lot of the MMA community talking about. Well, that shows you where boxing is. If, if a YouTuber is the most popular guy in the sport, I got news for the MMA community. Jake Paul is the most popular combat sports athlete in the world right now. There's no more popular combat sport. Conor McGregor, Masvidal and Usman over the weekend, uh, all these guys. They're all popular guys, including boxers, Canelo, uh, all these guys. Nobody is more popular than Jake Paul. Jake Paul can fight a fat, out-of-shape ex-wrestler who ex-UFC fighter who just came from the buffet table and and people st- and a million and a half people will still buy the fight that's what's crazy okay you Canelo a fan still need Canelo to fight a top guy if, if they want to buy those fights so well now he doesn't do the buys anymore because he does the zone but nonetheless it, the same thing applies you know he I think he outsold I think Paul outsold Conor McGregor's rematch with Dustin Poirier a few months ago you know it's it's this is the most popular combat sports athlete in the world. And Dana White should be the last guy talking. Because Dana White's paying all these guys pennies when they deserve so much more based on what they sell. And he's the last guy to be to, should be talking about this. Because if Dana White had a contract with Jake Paul, Jake Paul wouldn't be able to make any money either. So shut up, Dana. Mind your business. Go, go back to the buffet table because you're gaining weight every week yourself. And leave Jake Paul out of it. Jake Paul needs to keep doing what he's doing because that's what's selling. That's it. And, of course... Like what me and you have said, then if any YouTubers are feeling froggy, just leave because we'll get in there too. You know, anybody I'm looking ready. for anybody I'm looking ready. anytime, anytime, any place. Savage, Savage Dan is training, guys. If anybody you YouTubers are feeling froggy, leap. I've seen them. Come on, come on, give me, give me. Come on, I'm ready. Right, predictions other than me beating Jake Paul. We have Derek Chisora versus Joseph Parker coming up. What? That's a bit of a difficult one to call because I feel like every time Joseph Parker stepped up, he's been beat. Now, 
yeah, he hasn't necessarily looked bad in those defeats, but he he seems to to have a problem at that kind of top elite level. Having said that, Chizora has always had that problem also. You know, every yeah, time he's that's what I was just going to say. It's Chizora of that yeah. level. It's Chizora that kind of step up. Because I, I feel like a, an aging Chizora is dangerous for a few rounds, and then he kind of starts yeah. to fade. You know, he was he was he did very well early on against uh, Alexander Usyk, and then mm-hmm. kind of disappeared. You know, um, late rounds he was knocked out by Dillian White in the rematch. Um, you know, he he kind of starts to fade, and of course that's natural for a, a guy getting older. You know, um, mm-hmm. I think Chizora. Is an intense guy, and I think he's going to remain dangerous early. As a matter of fact, I mean, look at the knockout he had over Artur Spilka. You know, uh, uh, it yeah. was it was early on. Jezora is th- bombing away, and he's looking to get you out of there. Always mean intentions, but that kind of intensity wears out even a young fighter when they throw that kind of yeah. power early on so much. But when you're older, you wear out even more. So I think Chizora, um, you know, is going to be dangerous early in the fight. But I, I can see Parker kind of, you know making it comfortable for himself mid to mid, mid to late rounds and you know winning a comfortable decision kind of like Usyk I agree did. yeah I agree I agree I, I feel like the way that Joseph Parker will will almost try to fence keep it quite long keep away from the danger for mm-hmm. at least the, the first few rounds and Chizora will make it fun early on he always does yeah always right also we have Dimitri Bivol against Craig Richards in a very good fight you know I, I wasn't sure about the timing of this fight this is two prospects um, that in in essence you kind of want to keep away from each other for a while until both their profiles have, have have increased. But Eddie Hearn's thrown them in together. It's a tough one. Have Have you seen much of Crave Richards? I have not, but I do think Bivol is uh, is, is 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 a higher level than a prospect because he's got that Russian amateur background, um, WBA light heavyweight champion, and he's he's beaten some good fighters. As a matter of fact, he has a win over Joe Smith as well, who was uh, who just won the WBO title. Um, yeah. uh, among others, uh, I I think Bibble is a is a is a solid technical fighter, but he high energy as well. Um, I have not seen enough of Richards to know how much of a problem he's going to pose for for Bibble, But he's a big puncher, uh, well schooled, very tall and, and and big at the weight. I mean, I, I like I the fight. Then it's funny because yeah, Bibble is a good puncher himself, and they keep putting him in with good punches. Like I said, he just he has a win over yeah. Joe Smith as well. Interesting, man. This this guy he, he doesn't mind. He doesn't shy away from. The tough fights uh, should be interesting, especially if, if Richards has this frame that we're, we're yeah. talking about, you know, and has that punching power. It'll, it should be really interesting, actually. Go with Bivol? I got to go with Bivol because I only know Bivol um, out of the two. I'm going to go. I, but I'm, you got you do have me more excited about this matchup than I was 10 minutes ago. <laughs> For me, I look at that card, and that's that's the one I look at, and I, I'm looking at fireworks, and I'm not sure where the fireworks are going to come from. Because you've gone Bivol, I am going to go Craig Richards. I like Craig. I think he's a good fighter. I think he's underrated as well. Um, so either way, that is going to be a very, very good fight. Um, we also have Katie Taylor versus Natasha Jonas. Now, last time Natasha Jonas fought, I think she... A lot of people were thinking, is she done? Has she, has she had enough? Does she still have it in her to go to the world one more time? I thought she won that fight. Mm-hmm. With uh, yeah, you know, it, it's 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 just I see Taylor con- constantly improving, constantly getting better. You know, um, I was really impressed with the way Taylor uh, fought her rematch with uh the who's the girl from Belgium, Parsoon, Parsoon. Yes, you yeah, know, yeah. Um, I see Taylor as a as 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 a as a, a champion who's still ascending. You know, it's it's hard. It's gonna be hard to beat her at at this point. You know, regardless of um, of Jonas's recent performance, a recent run of, of run of uh, run of form. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go Katie Taylor. We know that momentum is a is a big big thing in boxing. However, what I will say is I wouldn't at all be surprised if Jonas pulls out that kind of you could see her that, that you, kind of performance again. She she's better than people give her credit for. Again, you know, I, and, I that's, feel like, and that's the shame of of of, of even the fight because uh, Taylor. Yeah. Even in getting a win over a girl like Jonas, probably won't get the credit she deserves. In 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 yeah, because for because for me, I don't think people were talking enough about Taylor's rematch performance with Parsoon. You know, I, I think I thought it was. I, you know, you've got to keep in mind the adjustments yeah. and 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 the mental wherewithal she had in that fight. I thought she lost mm-hmm. the first fight. To tell you the truth, I thought Parsoon right, beat so her the I. first fight. You know, and yeah. so you know Taylor shows her mental strength. She shows her physical prowess, um, her technical prowess. Um, 
And and again, you're fighting a, 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 a an opponent here in Jonas who is better than people realize. If you win, you you know you get the credit you deserve. People talk about Taylor in a positive light, but do they really understand? What positive light you've got to be talking about? You don't just talk positive. I, I'm not the kind of person I just like to talk positive about a fighter just because they're popular. I like to actually see them putting in the work, and I see Taylor yeah. doing that. Also coming up, we have Andy Ruiz, the return against Chris Ariola. Now he's he's looking good. He's looking in great shape. He's saying he wants to be the the heavyweight version of Canelo. Um, I I know that that is a dangerous dangerous fighter if he brings everything together. But I'm expecting nothing, this, nothing less this than, has, than Andy Ruiz. I'm excited <laughs> to see Andy Ruiz return, genuinely. And I'll tell you, this is an interesting fight here. I'll tell you why it's an interesting fight, because uh, as a person who lives in the United States, I, I have, I'm closer to this kind of rivalry. This has a Derby feel to it, okay? The Mexican-American and Mexican culture in general are, mm-hmm. are obviously very close, but also they have this, this pride in, within their culture, and part of that pride comes from that machismo inside the ring of, and their boxing culture, you know? And these guys both want to represent that. You know, they're very friendly with each other, but I'm telling you, when they're going to put it, put it all on the line against one another, it's going to be bigger than a title fight for them, you know, because the winning the, the Derby rivalry of a Mexican versus Mexican type of fighter, especially when they're both in the United States, they're both in the L.A. area, I mean, you've got to go to the barbershop and face everybody afterwards, you know? <laughs> so this is going to be a fun fight. I don't know how long it's going to last because I don't know how much Ariola can put up that high-energy style anymore, but Ariola has always been fun uh, energetic himself and really durable and Ruiz I think when he's motivated is a, is, a, is a very good fighter himself I still think he really blew it in that Joshua rematch I, I think Joshua was kind of second guessing himself and fought such a safety first fight that if Ruiz could have touched him on the chin a couple of times he uh, he, he might have pulled off the, the win again but he got so fat that, that he couldn't he couldn't track him down he couldn't get to him you know but so so I, I think the, the motivated Ruiz is going to be even more motivated because of the Darby feel and um Ariola, last chance saloon type of situation. And of course, yep. your last chance saloon situation comes in a Derby kind of fight as well. I like this fight as far as entertainment value and the entertainment value is going to bring it and, and, and give to the fans. I think it's going to be a really good fight and a real barn burner for however long yep. it lasts. I agree. I'm going with a, a, a Andrew Ruiz win. Yeah, but I do think. For, yeah, I think I think Ruiz is a fight. little bit more in the left in the tank, younger. But uh, I'm telling you, Ariel is not going to go away lightly. <laughs> he's he's, <laughs> he's a prideful guy himself. He's a proud proud Mexican, as is Ruiz, and they're going to fight that way. On this day, we have Boxer One. Imagine that, Boxer One, April twenty seventh, two thousand eighteen. Um, it was the welterweight tournament. And the winner was Drew Brown. Now, this was your first experience with Boxer, wasn't it, Paulie? Yeah, yeah. And Drew Brown really impressed me. What did you make me. of it? Um, I, I liked the whole the whole setup of it. I, I I was kind of blown away by the fact that fighters were coming back and had to fight again. I mean, it was my first experience seeing that. I was like, wow, these yes. guys, you know, I can't even imagine how mentally you're in the whole dressing room. You can't even let your guard down. You can't even enjoy you can't even enjoy the win. Usually after a win, you go back to the dressing room, you celebrate, you're happy. You can't even do that. You've got to go back to the dressing room and keep your game face on because if you, yeah. you let your guard down, you're going to come out unprepared for the next fight. Uh, I thought I, I was really impressed with Drew Brown, the way he, uh, the way he won that tournament. He was, was very, very solid. Uh, uh, technical fighter, technical skills. Uh, and one thing it really showed me, too, is that Boxer, doesn't matter who the odds-on favorites are, Boxer is the kind of tournament anybody can win. And the odds-on favorites many times have not won the Boxer tournaments. How did you get involved with Boxer in the first place? Um, I, uh, I, I struck a friendship with uh, Ben Shalom, who was uh, the creator of, of, the, of, of Boxer. And, um, you know, we kind Good of man. just had many discussions. And um, and little by little, you know, I, I watched Ben tell me his ideas and then and then sort of bring them to reality, which was very impressive for a guy his age. I mean, Ben is a lot younger than me, you know. So so, um, you know, I, I was really impressed with his maturity and, and, and the poise that he had in, in dealing with the pressure that comes with putting together shows like this and doing it and putting together a brand like this. And so um, little by little, we, you know, we struck up this friendship and uh, I've, I've been involved since my my first boxer tournament was UB7 which is not not even that long ago um, <laughs> but it was a a mad night at, at middleweight what would you say is the best weight that you've seen um let's see if they have I don't know I I, I probably 
You know what was fun? It was fun when Steve Donnelly won, but not. But Steve it was funny because Steve was actually dominating every fight. But the rest of the tournament was like really exciting and really good fights. You know, I think that was Super Welter. I think that was. Uh, I think Donnelly was at, was a Super Welter. Um, probably there's been there's been a, a, a there's been a few nights where I've just been amazed with the action. You know, and I and I and at the end of the night, I'm just kind of like trying to catch, still catch my breath. You know. Um, sometimes you'll see guys where they're you kind of pull them for them to get through because they they put themselves in tough fights early and then you realize that I've seen guy like I I think it was the was it the heavyweight one you just see a guy he's 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 barely getting through all the fights and by the time he reaches the final he's got nothing left you know and you think like <laughs> this would have been a good fight but instead yeah. he's got absolutely no gas left in the tank and he can give nothing you know <laughs> so. It's like chess. You just got you got a pace or so. If you got to sure know do. when to go, it's, it's it's difficult. It's very difficult. Um, right. One more date for you. A very important one. April 29th. Does that have any significance to you, Paulie? Well, to me, it's two fights for me. April 29th. Uh, first, it's the fight where I won my second world championship with Vyacheslav Sinchenko. That's the one we're gonna. And go then with. also, it is the fight that I. What that I consider the most amazing event I've ever worked, the most amazing event I've ever been a part of and seen, and that was uh, 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 Anthony Joshua versus Vladimir Klitschko, um, yes. and that that was uh, also April 29th, I think uh, maybe three four years ago, you know. So this night has given me one of my best professional boxing experiences, and then the very best experience as a, as, as an analyst as well. Um, a, a, a night that will. Live famously in my in, in my That's in, it. in my we'll, mind. Every yeah. year we're just gonna. I mean, we're only a few days away. To be fair, hopefully something. I'm something excited to see what happens April 29th this That's year. That's it. Yes. <laughs> um. Obviously, you you beat um Senchenko and and became uh, a two time world champion. Was it harder doing that the second time than doing it the first time? Um. I. I it's funny because there was. I can't say what's harder or easier. There's a ton of pressure both ways. The first f- fight when I won the world championship against Endo, it was I had lost a world championship to to Cotto, a world championship fight to Cotto a year before, and I knew that you can't get two title shots in a year and then expect to lose them both, and and people still take you seriously. I may not get a title shot for a while, so it was a lot of pressure on me for that fight. For the Senchenko fight, I remember it was. Um, I'll tell you a story. Because now I can tell you the story. At the time, I couldn't really say this publicly because, you know, you, you don't want to put your sources out there. But now so much time has passed. I lost to Amir Khan in May 2010. Really a bad fight for me. Like, it was one of the, one of, you know, I wouldn't say it was my worst performance. I think the Ricky Hatton fight was my worst performance. But but Khan really blitzed me, you know. And it was, a, it was my last fight at 140 pounds. And I remember HBO had used me a lot. You know, they had some. I had won some fights. I had lost some fights. But HBO was. I was a fighter that HBO, you know, would put on. Um, they wouldn't give me any handout fights like they did with some guys. But I, I would. They would be in tough fights. But they they were okay putting me on. And I guess you know sometimes I win, sometimes I lose at that level, which is the elite level of of world boxing. Um, but I remember after the con loss, I remember thinking. Wow, I was like, I'm just, in sh- I'm just shattered. Like, I've just lost a, a one-sided fight, and people have, and I have had to rebuild after losing my world title to Hatton a couple of years earlier. So now, mm-hmm. people may think, okay, Paulie ro- rose his way back up, but he came up short. That's it. You know, he's th- he doesn't have enough to reach a second world championship. And I remember somebody was sitting in the vicinity. Somebody, a trusted person in boxing, I won't give you their name, was sitting in the vicinity. Of Kerry Davis. Kerry Davis used to run HBO Sports. He was the guy who replaced Lou DiBella in 2000, in 2000 2001 and ran HBO Sports until uh, almost the end. You know, uh, he was replaced probably a couple of years before HBO went off, went off, uh, left boxing completely. So he was there for about 10 years. So it was Kerry Davis was there. And he said something in the vicinity of this person that knows me. And he, this person brought that news back to me. And this guy said, Paulie Malinaji will never fight on HBO again. Like basically, and he made it, and he said it like a joke, and I know he said it. He knows who he is, and uh, yeah. and, uh, um, and and he knows he said it. But nonetheless, uh, I won't give you the source that told me because he, he said it out loud. And um, that person told me. That person said that to me, and I was like, "Wow!" I was like, "Okay," you know. And uh, I really didn't have a great. Rela- uh, I didn't have a. I didn't have a bad relationship with Showtime, but I had. I had only fought on Showtime once or twice before that, so um, mm-hmm. it was either HBO or Showtime at that time. So I remember signing with Golden Boy, and they had. HBO dates. Now I didn't know how I was going to get back on TV. But they also had HBO pay-per-view dates because the Golden Boy used to have a lot of dates at that time. So the pay-per-views, luckily I signed with a promoter that could stack their undercard with whoever they wanted because HBO only wanted the main event 
in the pay-per-views. They wanted to make sure the main event was a pay-per-view worthy. And then the promoter could actually stack the undercard, televised undercard with whoever they wanted. So Golden Boy mm -hmm. uh, did a great job with me in keeping me on TV on the pay-per-view undercards because you had to get the image of the Lost to Khan out of people's minds. You had to get the and a new image of Paulie winning fights again, you know? And the Khan loss is a bad image uh, to leave me in from my brand. Um, when it came to fighting the Sinchenko fight, I remember... Um, I knew that there was no way now that Golden Boy could win the purse bid because if you don't have an HBO money, HBO bank account behind you to, to want to take this fight, you're, you're not going to be able to out, outbid these Russians, you know, these Ukrainians. They, they were millionaire guys in, behind Sinchenko. And I remember thinking, now it's going to come, now it's going to come to play. They're not going to be able to bid. I'm going to have to go to Ukraine. I don't, I don't want to go to Ukraine. I don't want to go there to this fight. It's, you know, I, I, this is basically my, I've, I've managed to rebuild again when people didn't think I could rebuild myself to this point. But now if, if they thought I was done when I lost the con, if I lose to Zinchenko, I'm really gone, you know? So as I, I really didn't want to go there and risk getting robbed and risk having no American TV. Um, and I remember I tried to sign with Al Heyman at that time. Al Heyman would not sign me at that time. Heyman eventually did sign me later in my career for a couple of fights. And, uh, you know, I made good money. And I was grateful to that. But I would have loved to have been able to sign with Heyman in my prime, you know. And I remember mm -hmm. calling um, one of Heyman's guys, Sam Watson, and telling him, listen, I don't want anything from you guys. I just want to be with you guys so that I know there's a bank account to win the purse bid. And if, I win, if you guys win the purse bid, I promise you I will beat this guy and you'll have a new world champion in your stable. You know. Sam was polite, got back to me a couple of times on phone calls, basically said no. Then when I was, and told me that the stable was full. Then I remember when I was in training camp for that fight, one morning I woke up and saw a headline on BoxingScene.com that said, Al Heyman signs Devin Alexander and Peter Quillen. So I guess the stable wasn't that full, was it? <laughs> but, but it wasn't, it was what it was, you know? So, um... I, uh, you know, I, I had my training camp, and so going into the fight, the pressure of this fight becomes you have to win at all costs. But don't think you're going to, don't think about the robbery, because if you think about the robbery, you're going to not fight your best fight. Just go in yeah. there, and I told myself, you know what, I, I, I convinced myself they were going to rob me. I said, you know what, they are going to rob me, but you know what I'm going to do? This guy's going to have to deal with me every single round, and I'm going to show the best of myself tonight. And if they're going to rob me, and they're not going to take me back on American TV when I get back, at least, you know what they're going to have to say? They're going to say, you know what, we didn't like that kid, but that kid could fight. I'm going to make them have to, I'm going to force them to have to say that when, when I come back home. And that's the kind of fight I fought, and I wound up getting a stoppage and winning home in the world championship. Funny thing is, when I get back home, Golden Boy has a new deal with Showtime. They've left HBO, you know? So... I come back and I'm fighting all my fights on Showtime now because now I have a world championship. I'm fighting fights yeah. on Showtime. You know what's funny? I never did fight on HBO again. I never <laughs> did fight on HBO again. But I still made millions of dollars afterwards. <laughs> so, so that's the the irony of that story. But it always he, I, I was always he's so an oracle. I, I, the, the guy who said that. He knew exactly what he was talking about. He, he just forgot <laughs> to say the part where uh, where you go and and win a world championship and then end up on Showtime. Yeah, crazy. So that's, anyway, uh, that's, that's a, what a story. Yeah, <laughs> what yeah. a story. This is why a, we have this podcast. This is why a boxing, so that we can get these stories. A, a boxing career has a lot of little tidbits that people don't realize. You know, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, all right. Anyway, that should be it for today. As always, like, comment, subscribe. Let us know if you agree or disagree with us. Who's gonna win this weekend in the in the, the upcoming fights? And as always, stay locked to boxer.